Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello to anyone listening. This is the Robert Lego blogcast. Um, basically, what that means is that I write a blog and then I do a podcast that uh, coincides. Is that the word? Uh, with what it is that I'm uh, writing about. So that way, if you're not the reading type, you could just download the audio. And if you don't want to hear me, then you can just read it and get the idea of what I'm trying to uh, uh, bring out there. So the book that I just finished reading a couple days ago is The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by uh, Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, that's Bessel, B-E-S-S-E-L, V-A-N-D-E-R-K-O-L-K, uh, M-D. So he, he has one of those important papers that allow you to diagnose people. Uh, and this is the, I believe it's the third book that I'm uh, going through to uh, try to get a better understanding of emotional well-being and um, uh, I guess in a nutshell it's kind of fixing yourself but it's not fixing yourself in the sense that you're repairing muscles or sprains or anything like that uh, this is uh, below the surface this is just emotional well-being and uh, I think that it's something that's so complicated that if you are uh, downloading this just to try to get a um, get some help on healing yourself emotionally. You're uh, exactly where you don't want to be. Uh, go to a in quotation marks professional. Go online. There's a lot of other uh, resources that you can go to and um, try to figure yourself out there. And I say that because. Even though I've read a couple books on the subject and I've uh, I, I've um, spent quite a bit of time trying to get an understanding of what happens to us as we grow up and as things that uh, are probably uh, unpleasant uh, in our growing up process affect us and then we're carrying that uh, damage uh, with us all our lives. And then when we realize that for whatever reason we can't, um, I, I, I'll, I'll probably get into all the different things that could happen. But um, yeah, Bender Vassal, uh, Bender Vanderkolt. And uh, you can find, I, ah, oh, geez, I should have had this ready. I believe it is, yes, it is. It's the School Sucks podcast and you need to go to it's going to be somewhere in the late 350 so like 357 or 6 and it's called adverse childhood experience uh they have a couple of really bright guys discuss this book this specific book 
Uh, and I might have came across that audio a long time ago, and then I decided, you know what, that sounds like the next book I'm going to read. It, it might have been sometime around when I was reading the uh, Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety, or the uh, uh, Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety. Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety, or the Panic Attack book, When Panic Attacks. And I don't, I don't think I have it. Oh, as a matter of fact, I think I did this exact thing the last podcast, but I don't believe that I released it, so we're good. Um, except I just said it right now. Uh, David M. David D. Burns, uh, M.D. Uh, he wrote When Panic Attacks. And then uh, the other one was uh, guilt, shame, and anxiety. Oops. Uh, guilt, shame, and anxiety is written by Peter Bregan. And I believe that you can find audios by Peter Bregan as well. Uh, a pretty good book, uh, that one. And When Panic Attacks, they both have quite a bit of uh, information that you can uh, learn from. If you are exploring the subject just to uh, try and get get a better understanding of where you're at, I would probably recommend the uh, When Panic Attacks uh, book uh, because it has a lot of techniques that have worked in therapy. Uh, the whole book is mostly based on CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, uh, but it, it's it's great because it shows you all the different methods that they can treat um, not illness um, disease you're not at ease uh, so anyway uh, the body keeps the score um, again if, if this isn't working for you go to school sucks uh, download that that series. Uh, and then just do a search. What I do is I just search for the novel, uh, the book or the author, and I just type in podcast after it and I'll come across just random places that that author has been interviewed at. Uh, but so let's let's start to get into it. I have my notes, so you're probably going to hear a little bit of shuffling as I'm going through this. Uh, and I have the blog post that I wrote. Uh, that'll probably be uploaded by the time you hear this audio. Um, so let's see. It, one of the things that uh, the book covered at the beginning, and it's kind of a downer to be completely honest, and it's that uh, a lot of children are diagnosed with uh, ADHD and uh, other... Uh, uh, other uh, uh, basically, they, they're diagnosed with... Uh, diseases, uh, disorders that uh, are treated by uh, certain medications like lithium and, uh, oh man, what is the, I know I have it here, and I would have had this ready if I was a little more organized. I, I have the sheet in front of me, I just didn't run through it. Uh, half a million children on antipsychotic meds. Uh, these medications are used, this is his quote, uh, these medications are used to make abused and neglected children more tangible. This is why it's so dark at the beginning. He starts off with something this heavy that 
you get a child that's in school that's being forced. They also mentioned this on the school sucks, but you have a child that is not uh, fitting into the mold. The child is forced to sit down and uh, have somebody stand in front of this giant room with a bunch of other children and uh, told to sit still as he uh, fills in his mind with things that this uh, group of people feel is necessary to know for their upbringing. Uh, and then when the child rebels and chooses not to be a part of this uh, antiquated learning system, they are uh, diagnosed with uh, uh, rest. Uh, I don't doubt that it's like restless leg syndrome and uh, ADHD and uh, attention deficit disorder, of course, um, or ADD. What's ADHD? Hyperactivity disorder. Well, anyway, all the, um, how would you say, symptoms of somebody not wanting to sit still and just be bored in a um, in this type of environment. And then what happens? So that child gets in trouble. They uh, Maybe the nurse will talk to the parents and then they are given this uh, medication that is going to sedate them. It's going to make them sit still and quiet. Uh, kind of creepy almost like the children are about to be molested or something. Why, why would you, uh, if the child is not able to learn in this type of uh, methodology, then uh, I don't, it's kind of uh, shocking and, and sad to know that when that's not working, what you do, you drug them, you sedate them. Uh, it almost sounds like a prison camp where the uh, the captives that are not, um, that are not participating are drugged and then uh, they, they try to get the information through them by other means, like the LSD studies, uh, not to go into a tangent. Um, so the the other thing that's kind of uh, dark is that, uh, and I, I don't have the note here, but it says that uh, the majority of these uh, prescriptions are given to uh, bad areas, uh, of course. And so a lot more people are, I, I believe it's like double uh, the amount of uh, children are actually diagnosed uh, in poor areas. Uh, let's see. Diagnosis is so common around the country that about half a million children are on antipsychotic medications and four times more likely on low-income families. Um so yeah, so it's it's a ton, and uh, it's uh, one of those things where uh, kind of like uh, vaccines. If the uh, the dangers are really there, then it's kind of shocking that when you have a program that is offering to uh, uh, vaccinate the um, youth in a certain group then all you're really doing is you're risking the impoverished populations uh, and uh, some of them are getting side effects and uh, ending up paralyzed or uh, unable to function uh, after that. Uh, as I've mentioned before, my own brother actually had a adverse reaction to the tetanus vaccine shot. Uh, and luckily it was before I had taken it, so I'm, I'm staying very far away from that. Uh, so after he starts to cover this, and this is, um, I, I guess, a bit of a relief because 
uh, I, I'm afraid to get into uh, type of therapy or books where they are um, advocating uh, um, diagnosing uh, uh, and and uh, treating a um, <clears throat> psychological disorder with drugs with medication, uh, which is. I guess on the other side of the spectrum, as far as um, taking medication goes, it's on the other side of the spectrum of um, not getting treatment, not fixing the problem, and just procrastinating uh, and tolerating the pain. Um, As I said in the article, it's one of those things that we do today where uh, you diagnose somebody and then the next step is to give them drugs, pump them full of drugs, give them um, a regimen that they're going to uh, take from then on. And uh, it's ugly. It's scary. Uh, my own cousin from Washington growing up actually had uh, emotional out- outbursts. And uh, not to say that he's um, he was molested or anything, but he had emotional outbursts. And his, uh, my um, female cousin, his sister as well and they were both uh, I I don't know for a fact that she was maybe I can talk to her sometime but uh, my cousin was on um, a man uh, Ritalin maybe and I remember him saying that a real quick side note as far as I understand whenever you uh, vaccinate a child at school the school will get a hundred dollars per vaccination this is why they're always on top of, did you get vaccinated? Did you get vaccinated? Because uh, to regurgitate a very uh, um, reused uh, explanation of it, if your child is vaccinated, he is not endangering vaccinated children. That's the whole purpose of the vaccine. Uh, If anything, the only children that are in danger are all the children that are not vaccinated. That could be... um, ill from whatever it is that they're trying to treat. Um, And depending on where you stand on the uh, vaccination uh, debate. But uh, so I was a little hesitant. I didn't know if this guy was going to promote the use of medication to treat this type of thing. Uh, And luckily he was a little bit more, uh, how would you say, um modern in his thinking and uh he uh, of course he has this uh different methods that it's almost like cbt but it's a model that your uh i i oh man i have it written down give me a sec and i'm not there yet that's why i i'm not ready for it um internal family system ifs i believe and uh so this type of uh, treatment is a little bit different than what you have heard on the other audios when Panic Attacks and uh, the Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety book. But some of his research does go hand in hand, especially with the Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety book, the Cognitive Behavioral Therapy uh, book. And on that book, they, uh, I, as far as I remember, they do mention, and I've heard other um, therapists and uh, psychologists mentioned that there is a um, different amount of uh, personalities that's stuck in every person's uh, psyche, every every person's uh, mind. 
And uh, this is what makes you unique. The different uh, personalities that are sitting around. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, that gives you an, a, a perfect uh, rendition of it. But of course, it's simplified because it's a children's movie. And uh, these different personalities are what uh, the this whole treatment is is kind of uh, based on, but it's not what the whole book is based on. So uh, let me continue. Uh, he did say a couple uh, really interesting things. I'm always uh, interested in in uh, cognitive research. I'm a big fan of Jason Silva. I uh, listen. I, I haven't. But I, I need to, I, I downloaded it and I have it on my MP3. There's a podcast called uh, Shrink Rap Radio. And I uh, downloaded a bunch of those just to have uh, more perspectives on emotional well-being and uh, um, healing. And uh, so you can go there, uh, Shrink Rap Radio, and download that. You can go to the School Sucks and download that. And then you can just find anything. There's a lot of YouTube videos with Besser, Bessel van der Kolt and uh, Peter Bregan. Uh, and really great to just hear them explain their research in their own words. Um, so he does um, cover two of the things that are really interesting about the uh, the study of the brain. And one of them is that the left and the right brain, this is something that's kind of debated because it, uh, it, how would you say it, uh, it is not, or I guess it's debatable on whether the brain is really divided in left, left side, right side. But there was a, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Van der Kolt might have, uh, actually helped find this discovery. Uh, and I remember seeing a documentary. I, unfortunately, I don't remember what it was uh, to reference it here. And uh, this study was showing, uh, oh, you know what? It, it's possible that it might be on... No, I don't think it's on uh, Brain Games from Jason Silva. But if you just search, you might be able to come across it. Anyway, so these people that they were studying were uh, patients that had the left brain and the right brain uh, separated, divided. Uh, they were uh, internally different than most of us. And so what they did with these people is they blocked out one of the eyes. I believe that they cross, so your left eye goes to your right brain and vice versa. And so they were finding that uh, one of the sides, and I have it here, <clears throat> um, the, uh, where is it? The right brain is intuitive, emotional, visual, spatial, and tactual. And then the left brain is linguistic, sequential, and analytical. Uh, the, uh, there was a book that I, oh, I, I guess we kind of went through a bunch of exercises on it. I remember having to take it home and uh, I was really kind of into it because it was art class and it was called drawing on the right side of the brain. This taught you different techniques on how to uh, start switching your brain from a, a linguistic, sequential, analytical brain into more of an emotional, intuitive, uh, visual brain. 
Uh, and there were some tricks where if you're right-handed, you pick up a pencil with your left hand and then you start drawing, but you're looking at something with high detail and not looking at the end product. So you're blocking out the drawing. And this is just an exercise to teach you to uh, start noticing details because when you're looking at an object, uh, just a simple coffee cup like the one in front of me here is yes a coffee cup but it has a lot of imagery and and uh um uh, ideas attached to it and you might just look at the coffee cup and maybe remember your father drinking some coffee or wonder how it is that they made that cup or wonder if uh if it's been cleaned uh, all the different things that just come up with uh, the, uh just looking at the cup but when you start just noticing the details and drawing, then you're just noticing the true um, objective view of what that, uh, uh, or or subject, no, objective, right? Yeah, uh, view of what it is that you're looking at. Uh, and in this study, what they were doing is they were showing the people, uh, for example, words, and then when they were using their right brain, they were unable to distinguish what it was. It was almost like a... A pattern or a design and they or a logo and they couldn't figure out that those uh, curves on the paper uh, translated to words and then those words into an idea um, uh, in in our language but uh, so um, the uh, the this whole uh, development um, is uh, kind of uh, I, I don't know if it necessarily uh, contradicts the um, internal family system, but uh, there is studies that do show the left brain, right brain stuff. Um, oh, real quick. He also covers the uh, brain wave. Uh, and I, I should probably just get to that one so that I can tell you now. Give me one second. Uh, there's a whole chapter on the study of the brain waves and how to bring them up to more of a of a controlled baseline uh and now that i realize it you know what better than uh no maybe it, i won't i won't uh uh man see this is why i should follow the what i'm writing a little more hand in hand um one thing that i kind of missed um uh it's a quote by by Bessel and he says uh, these medications and this is in reference to the 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 horror that he introduces the book with about the problem with medicating children and he says that uh these medications are used to make abused children more tractable i had to look that up tractable means uh to uh, easier to influence or control so that that adds another really creepy um, uh, is it caveat? Another uh, aspect of how disturbing this is that somebody's not listening to you and the next thing to do is to shove a pill down their throat and wait for them to uh, to conform. So, uh, so back to the left brain, right brain. Brain scans of someone experiencing an image of trauma show right brain activate and the left brain shut down. Now, this is... Uh, very telling because uh, it says that, uh, and I, I say it says because I don't, I don't I'm, I, the 
things that I've gone to, I don't know if it's even fair to constitute as trauma, but uh, that trauma victims often struggle to organize the events in a sequence of, um, uh, how would you say, um, uh, canonical, is that the word, uh, sequential uh, events. So in other words, what they feel when they look back at the memory of something or someone that wronged them, the uh, memory is kind of blurry and they don't remember what happened first or if they were at fault or if the other person came on to them or they don't know exactly uh, what happened to lead to what. And that it might be a defensive mechanism that our brains do to try to uh, kind of almost like filter it out. Uh, if you remember, I've come across a couple um, different um uh, places where they say that the the dream is basically us filtering out all the uh, synaptic information uh, inputs that you've received throughout the day, all the thoughts, all the experiences that you got uh, while uh, w- while in waking life, and then you dream about them. The dream is basically trying to get all these random events and sequence them in some sort of uh, plot or story. And if it does not make sense, which a lot of dreams do not, then it starts to fade into obscurity. And this is all just the mind's coping mechanism on uh, dumping out like it's almost like uh, on a PC, like you dump out the recycle bin uh, or you defrag the system. The problem is, though, is that as you're going through this process, if there's trauma, these parts in your hard drive, so to speak, are damaged. And they're, uh, not only is the memory attached uh, in, the, in the hard drive, in the surface uh, of the brain, but there's a lot of emotional, uh, 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 emotional feelings attached to it. And so the emotions... Uh, what is it? Feelings and emotions. Um, oh man, I hope I didn't get that wrong. I, I was researching that as well, and um, ah, oh, jeez, I, I believe it's feelings is uh, things that you're feeling, and emotions are a little more overwhelming, uh, overpowered, and so you want to get away from uh, the uh, uh, emotions and understand what you're feeling. Uh, so a therapist will often ask you like, what do you feel? You feel anger. Why do you feel that anger? What's bringing it about? Uh, instead of just letting you lash out and just complain or, or, uh, raise your voice and not, uh, give the therapist any, uh, information on something productive. Um, and, uh, the, here's the thing too. If, if you, uh, like I said, it, the right brain shuts down, uh, the right brain activates, right? Jeez. The right brain activates, the left brain shuts down. Uh, the right brain is actually the part of the brain that, that stores memories, sound, touch, smell. Uh, and the most important part is the right brain also records the emotions that these things invoke. Uh, so in other words, if you have a smell that... Um, gets you sick. Let's say you went out, you partied a little too much, you drank vodka that night. Uh, it's possible that afterwards, whenever you smell vodka in your um, in your future partying, it might make you gag. And that's because the 
uh, memory is now giving you feedback, letting you know that this substance was almost like a poison last time and you were very sick and you promised yourself that you would not drink again. Um, the uh, other thing that the right brain does is it reacts uh, automatically to voices, facial features, uh, in gestures, uh, and places experienced in the past. So the right brain, as soon as you're in a, a situation that you've been in before, the right brain quickly starts to fill in all the uh, uh, feelings and, and things that, that the uh, place or, or person or experience made you feel. Um, I don't doubt that this is very uh, close to the research that I mentioned on uh, Peter Bregan's book of the uh, reptilian. Oh, actually, you know what? I might have. Oh, man, I hope I'm not misquoting that. I think it was Peter Bregan, but it might even be on Vanderkolt's book. Um, I hope I'm not wrong about that. But anyway, uh, the uh, difference between the mammalian and the reptilian brain. Uh, if you remember in the example and on the blog post that I wrote, the, uh, when you go into a, a pet store, the mammalian brain is very evident in that when you see the rodents, they're either all um, playing together or they're all napping in a huge pile in the corner. A reptile is not like that. A reptile is so different that he can sit in silence and completely uh, in uh, un, 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 ah, geez, these these words. Maybe I need more coffee. Um, uh, unmoving. So he's unmoving. He's in the corner, which is what reptiles do. Uh, geckos. If you uh, want a pet and you want something that you can actually pet, uh, reptiles might not be your best bet. Uh, some are, are cool. I have a pet uh, snake, a corn snake, and she's been great. I've had others before, but uh, most of the time, if you're buying a reptile, they're not really going to enjoy too much uh, being held and petting and everything. There is some bearded dragons and some snakes that do enjoy that. And But normally, like, a, if you get a gecko, you're just basically going to just stare at its belly as it sticks to the glass outside for hours on end. Uh, and uh, that, that shows you the different mind states that you can be at. Now, the problem is uh, that the reptilian brain doesn't allow you to react to the dangers. So when you are presented with something that is uh, traumatical or it brings you back to a place where uh, you experience something that wasn't pleasant, um, you collapse, you break down, and you can't react properly to uh, what's happening in front of you. And uh, so... Because this is kind of uh, similar to what I'm discussing, let me go through all the different wavelengths that the brain uh, goes through. And these are recorded using an EEG, uh, electro something gram. What is it? Um, electroencephalogram. Encephalogram. Uh, and this is uh, just reading what the brain is doing. This is where they start to talk about um, um, vibrations, I believe, and it, it, it maybe not, um, uh, but anyway, so 
the uh, one of the lowest uh, waves is delta, and that's uh, four cycles per second. So it's it's normally when you're sleeping uh, that you're in this state. A theta is when you're a little bit drowsy, and it's four to eight uh, cycles per s- second. Uh, this is when you feel uh, depression, ADD, uh, seizure activity. It's all within this range. And then we have alpha, which is 8 to 12 CPS. Uh, this is like a relaxed focus. This is, as far as I know, uh, the areas where you want to be at when you're doing meditation. You want to be uh, in a... Um, uh, is it high beta, man? Yeah, yeah, it's relaxed focus. So this is where uh, people believe that maybe athletes that are on uh, on point are, or on a roll are in this state or yogis that are doing meditational practices, the shaman monks that will uh, do extraordinary things with their body when they're in uh, certain states of mind. So the next one is 12 to 15 CPS. That's SMR. It's relaxed thought. Uh, it says that we train the brain to move into this range to modify symptoms of depression, ADD, and improve seizure activity. So this is where you start to move the brain from the theta, from the 4 to 8, all the way up to maybe, I guess, 15 would be more ideal. Uh, and then from 15 to 18, you go into beta. That's active thinking. And then high beta is more than 19 CPS. That's being excited. And it's just an extreme state of um, activity in the brain. Uh, and uh, all of this was, um, I guess, instrumental in getting a better understanding of what goes on behind the skull. Um so uh, you can kind of understand how it would actually work in that if there's a danger, if there's something that's bothering you or uh, affecting your well-being. Sorry for the pauses. I'm still uh, drinking my coffee this morning. But uh, when you're in a state of panic or uh, distress and you're unable to remove yourself from it, then you start to get into these states where... Uh, you're not stabilized, you're not um, centered, and that is going to cognitively really um, affect you. And then when you don't address that, then it stays as almost like a virus, like a damaged part of the the psyche. Uh, And uh, a quote that Vanderkolt said on his book is that the the most natural way for human beings to calm themselves when they are upset is by clinging to another person. This means that patients who have been physically or sexually violated face a dilemma. The desperate, desperately, they desperately crave touch while simultaneously being terrified of body contact. If you remember, there's a fairly new discovery, uh, or I, I should say acknowledgement, that because I, I don't doubt that there's people that have, have been uh, uh, pointing this out many times before this study. So what they um, are basically saying is that our skin actually craves contact. Uh, we have a thing called uh, skin hunger or touch 
um, touch hunger. Um, and uh, what this means is that uh, the thing that we as guys often try to um, deny is that we're social creatures, that we need um, we need other beings uh, of our species around us. Uh, I, I don't know if you can substitute a pet or anything else in that, but our bodies are uh, are vessels that do need uh, physical touch as well as uh, nourishment and water and all the different things that keep you healthy. Um, in uh, let me see. Oh, there there is a really dark thing that I I kind of uh, I research and I I talk about on the blog. And it's a horrifying study from 1944 in the U.S. They had 40 newborns. And what they did is they, all the newborns were being cared for. But um, half of the the uh, newborns were not given affectionate touch or eye contact. Uh, this is where it starts to get a little dark. Um, the study itself and it's kind of like the prison experiment the stanford prince the stanford prison experiment in that the study was stopped early this was four months in and it says that half the newborns without touch and eye contact uh died and uh at least two of them died afterwards uh, after the study was stopped uh, and it, it, there seems to be some sort of uh, mechanism in our body that detects that if we're not going to be cared for, then we might as well not be here. And then the the baby uh, horrifically um, stops attempting to get attention from the care uh, caregiver and just sits in silence. And then shortly after, the baby will pass away. Uh, they, they give up. They acknowledge that there's no... Um, uh, reciprocating of of uh, uh, affection or or of attention, and then they uh, leave this plane. Um, really dark. And um, uh, there was another study. Let me think. Um, the newborns, half of them. I, I know that even growing up, uh, I was uh, born in 1980. So all throughout the 80s and maybe early 90s, there was. Um, uh, uh, rumor, an idea that was bouncing around saying that you should not carry your baby, that you should let them cry, that it develops their lungs. And I don't know if it's a Mexican thing, but I don't doubt it because I've heard it in other places. And you do see the uh, the mother smoking a cigarette next to the baby crib and uh, not holding their baby. Uh, it'd probably be better that she's not holding the baby because uh, smoking a cigarette and holding a baby is probably not uh, a good uh, use of your time. Um, and so, uh, let me see. So the um, the importance of communication is referenced in a paper now called The Talking Cure. Okay, this is a article that was written, I believe it was a peer-reviewed study by Brewer and Freud. Uh, and... Uh, it says that the, uh, which is what I said earlier, the most memories go through a wearing away process is what they call it. Uh, and uh, hysteria does not go through this process. Hysterics suffer mainly from reminiscence is the quote he says. Uh, and 
uh, it's almost like if the energy was attached to that memory and uh, sometimes it'll manifest into uh, emotional outbreaks or uh, um, personal collapse. And this is when you find yourself not being able to trust someone or connect with anyone or uh, you're in a depressed state or you have uh, anxiety. You uh, all these different uh, ailments could be uh, a result of a traumatic memory. And for whatever reason, whenever anybody, I don't know, uh, touches your body in a certain spot, you get negative feelings from it. And that's just your. Uh, your brain trying to protect you from being hurt once more because those uh, sensory inputs were a sign of being uh, not in a good state uh, uh, or a uh, healthy uh, environment or state or or, um, uh, situation, I mean. Uh, So they found that only bringing the memory in vivid detail uh, expressed but with effect. So what they want in a lot of the therapy, I I know that uh, cognitive behavior therapy is one of them. uh, And then this IFS model is obviously very instrumental in uh, how to, uh, or in treating the person in this way. Uh, The uh, energetic reaction is an outburst that is uh, evident of the need for repair. And, uh, without the emotional outbreak, it's almost like uh, em- energetic reaction, I should say. It, uh, it It's almost like a beacon that's showing you that there's a spot there that needs uh, healing. Because when somebody is uh, behaving in a way that, that is not common, then you start to try to analyze and understand why it is that the person is behaving that way. And oftentimes that points to something in their past that uh, made them biased towards a certain group or angry towards a certain type of people or uh, any type of uh, biases that we build up as we uh, grow older. Uh, And uh, let me see. Uh, So this process is what I was talking about in that when you go through these type of experiences in your brain, uh, it is healthy to uh, bring them back up if you are attempting to repair it. Uh, you obviously don't want to re-experience these type of feelings when all you're going to do is just uh, fight with your partner or argue with a friend or uh, be unpleasant to people at work. These um, type of things are obviously something that you want to do under watchful eye of somebody that at least has an idea of what it is that they're uh, trying to treat or understand. Uh, and I've been trying to go through some of these uh, myself. I don't. I wouldn't want to drop this burden on uh, on somebody else. So I, this is partly a research to help myself and to help others uh, in the process as well. Um, and uh, so it, I'll, I'll continue. Clear influence of the brain can be seen through the vagus nerve. Uh, 80% of its fibers are connected to the brain uh, and to or through, connected, connect the brain to many internal organs. Uh, this can influence breathing and movement. This is something that actually uh, through this research, it's explaining how this uh, 
processes through the brain, through an emotional uh, process, but there is other uh, um, ways of, of fixing this. As, um, as I'm going to get into, yoga is, is a great practice for uh, well-being, and it's kind of interesting to note, but uh, even the... Uh, I think it might have been called something like take off your glasses and read or um, reading without glasses. Uh, it, one of those uh, books that teach you exercises on how to fix your eyes. And uh, they were saying that one great uh, technique because uh, their idea is that your eyes uh, went to a state of uh, not being uh, functional uh, to their max capacity because of because of uh, something traumatic, some sort of experience that you were going through. And this is why oftentimes it's usually during school that you're uh, tested and then they find that, hey, you need glasses. And um, uh, there's a great video, just a side note, there's a great video that shows uh, the conspiracy behind glasses. Just type that up and you'll see that uh, most of the glasses manufacturers all bottleneck into one company and it's all just one giant monopoly. But anyway, um, there's a guy that has also... Oh, so back to the glasses. So what, the, one of the exercises that they recommend is that you uh, sit and facing your partner or your friend or whoever's going to help you do this test. Now, what they do is they maybe point an index finger or hold something in their hand, maybe a pen, and they have you look at the tip of this uh, thing and you're following it in a, a, a giant circle. So they want you to show that your eyes are moving uh, all the way around the different ranges of motion. And then the person that's observing will notice that the eyes kind of lock in place or bounce in certain areas. These, according to the book, is where uh, the trauma is, is placed and you have to kind of exercise that, that movement. It's almost like you have a sprain or you have a muscle that's not um, cooperating and then what you do is you stretch so that you can kind of uh, gnaw out the little uh, knots that are in the muscle and, and make it uh, function and flow properly, uh, which is what deep tissue massaging um, might be doing. I'm not sure if they're just tearing muscle or if they're uh, actually helping it repair because a lot of people have benefits from this. Um, uh, and so the other uh, way that this uh, kind of um, is uh, given light is by a man that I'm kind of uh, researching on the side as I'm doing all these other um, uh, articles and, and things. And his name is Wim Hof. He's been on the Joe Rogan podcast twice and there's a really good one with Sam Harris. Uh, Sam Harris is probably, uh, I hope it's not Tim, Tim, Tim Ferriss. Uh, let me see. And um, so Wim Hof is uh, one of the pioneers in showing us that the autonomous system in our brain is actually something that we could affect. Uh, which is something that wasn't uh, accepted before. Uh, as I'm speaking, I'm looking up the article. Jeez, uh, maybe I put back back. Uh, I saved it already. Maybe. Jeez, uh, S S S Sam Harris. 
uh, I just want to know because I was one of the better ones. And you can, if you don't want to listen to all the different audios, you can just go straight to the Sam Harris. Uh, T, T, uh, it's not here. So S, or did I not put it there? Oh, I made a separate folder for them. Okay, so it should be here. Uh, Sam Harris, Meditation, Carmen. Oh, man, I don't have it here. Damn it. Uh, Carmen, Coil. Hmm. Give me a little bit more. I can find it. Uh, and so anyway, this uh, this audio that Wim Hof did is uh, great. It, it really teaches you uh, his technique. And it's something that he does charge for. But at the same time, he is just giving it up. Here it is. Yeah, it is, it is a Tim Ferriss podcast uh, with Wim Hof. Uh, and Wim Hof is showing us that he can control the uh, autonomous uh, um, system uh, that's the part of the system that we thought we had no control over. Uh, things like your heart rate, uh, your breath, your um, uh, your uh, digestion, uh, all, I don't know, maybe kidneys, uh, liver. And so the way he's doing this is he has this breathing exercise where uh, it's so great. And just to really quickly summarize, it's it's like breathing in all the way, maxing out your lungs, and then you exhale a little bit, and then you inhale again. So it's almost like you're in a constant state of panic, like you're getting an anxiety attack. But what it does is, according to him, it neutralizes all the hormones, the adrenaline, all the uh, hormones that are trying to get you into a state of fight or flight, neutralizing them, and then centering your mind uh, and bringing about hormones that will uh, calm you and uh, center you in a, in a better way to handle the situation. So Wim Hof was, and I believe it was in China, he was injected with a pathogen that would give him symptoms of a flu. And um, I think that it's something that will make you sick for a couple hours. So what Wim Hof did is he, they injected him. They have all these uh, sensors all over his body. And they noticed that uh, shortly after he starts to show the symptoms and they're like, okay, here we go. And within 20 or 30 minutes, he's able to neutralize the effects. This is all through his uh, breathing technique. Uh, and, uh, he basically just flushed out the virus out and he showed no adverse effects at all anymore. It's not like it was a deadly thing, but he, he was just trying to show that he can control his immune system. And that's not only it. This uh, man, Wim Hof, uh, brilliant guy, actually does a lot of superhuman feats. He has, a, uh, I believe he uh, hiked Mount Everest on just boots and a short and shorts and he uh he will sit out in the snow he'll swim in uh, uh lakes that have the surface frozen uh the, the that's something that uh, joe rogan's first podcast with him really details uh how crazy that is not only that but his eyes froze so he wasn't able to use his eyes to get back up and climb out through the hole 
Uh, and so, so yeah, you do that for about 60 breaths, you inhale and then you let go a little and then you inhale again and you just keep doing that and you're alkalizing your blood, you're neutralizing the hormones and then you're adding so much oxygen into your system that there's no way that cancers or uh, any type of pathogens will be able to survive. And so they all get uh, flushed out. Um, really brilliant. It's something that I highly recommend that you um, dig into. Uh, let me see what else was in this book. Um, there's a whole section where Vander Colt starts talking about uh, medical treatments. Uh, I mean medical in the sense that this is um, um, substances that you use. And uh, it's a Peter Bregan. Man, I just read these two books too close to one another. But uh, the uh, the obviously the, the 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 substances that we use as treatment, and the, these are addictive substances in the sense that the reason why addiction exists is because these. Uh, um, ailments that we have, the, these um, these things that keep popping up, are are so uh, intrusive that all we want to do is just numb them. So this is when you see the business the guy come home and immediately pour himself a drink or crack open a beer, um, maybe bring over the bong and start smoking some weed, maybe um, masturbation, maybe partying. It could be any sorts of things that you do where it's in a almost uncontrolled fashion, where it's uh, something that they're doing uh, in substitute of something that they could be doing that could be benefiting them. Uh, and it's just an endless cycle. Uh, what the therapist uh, that was talking about this said, uh, and it was in one of the audios, uh, uh, if I find it, I'll, I'll post it up on the on the uh, link. But I know that I mentioned it in other uh, blogs. So if you go back, just find something. Maybe the reptilian uh, versus the mammalian collapse article. Um, but anyway, so these um, uh, these substances are working. They the reason why addiction exists is because it works, and all it's doing is just numbing the pain. And you can do that through pharmaceuticals that your doctor's going to prescribe you, or you can do it through other means, uh, the drugs that are readily available over the counter and with uh, proper identification. Um, but there's some other interesting things. And one other one that's uh, fairly modern because there's a, I, I say modern because there's a debate uh, right now on whether uh, this substance is going to still be uh, legal. Uh, it's kind of how... As shocking as it is in California, salvia is full on 100% legal. You can go to a smoke shop. And what I'm talking about now is the substance that's oftentimes sitting next to the salvia, and that's kratom. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Now, this kratom leaf is, uh, they grind it down. You consume it in a, a hot tea, or sometimes you can have capsules. Joe Rogan's mentioned this a couple times. Um, and... It has been successfully used to uh, treat addiction of opiates. Uh, people that have like heroin withdrawal will go into uh, treatment with Kratom and uh, successfully treat it. Uh, a lot of the 
are things that I would read would always warn against addiction to Kratom, but it seems that a lot of the research is proving the opposite, that Kratom is a substance that removes addiction. And uh, so that that's one of the things. And there's one other substance that anybody that has ever tried it will start nodding their head when I start to describe it. And this substance is MDMA. Um, what does that stand for? Let's see. MDMA. Uh, as far as I'm told, DMA. Uh, it is uh, close to an amphetamine. And it's called... Uh, it's called um, Molly, and it's called uh, ecstasy as well. And now, I'm not positive, but when I learned about this uh, substance, I always understood it to be uh, ecstasy as the pressed pills. This is uh, MDMA that is cut with other things. Oftentimes, they add caffeine to kind of give you like a, a little jolt of energy and uh, they might add some other things on it as well. Uh, that's when it starts to get a little uh, risky. So what you want to do is to go a little pure, just like with anything, the, like even cocaine, it's probably not as bad as you would think uh, if you're naturally processing it and, and uh, smelling it. I have, uh, snorting it. I have a friend that supposedly actually even went to uh, some Central American country and he uh, was there not for too many good reasons, but he was uh, uh, sampling cocaine. And he says that cocaine uh, is actually something that when it's not cut with anything, it's just like a boost of energy. It's nothing different than like a cup of coffee or an energy drink. And as a matter of fact, in uh, Cuba, I believe, or Colombia, one of the two, Colombia maybe, they have this drink called uh, Coca Sec. And coca sec is a drink that um, it's uh, it contains cocaine, just like our uh, Coca-Cola today has. Um, but anyway, um, that's uh, a side note. So Molly, ecstasy, MDMA, um, it's, uh, what is it? Methylenedioxylmethylphetamine. Methylphetamine. Um, my cousin was telling me that it's it's close to meth, and this is why uh, sometimes you'll get an effect the next day where you just can't sleep. You're just sitting on your couch or you're lying in bed and you're just staring at things. You're not able to crash anymore. Um, but anybody that has tried this substance knows that uh, or understands why it is that it was originally going to be called something like uh, amphetamine or um, empathy, basically, empathetamine, uh, because it makes you connect with the other person. The, uh, what am I reading recently? I was hearing an audio where this person, uh, oh, that's what it was. It's Sam Harris. Um, the, uh, podcast is called, uh, waking up, download that and he'll explain how, uh, he went to a meditation retreat and uh, felt very little, uh, um, oh, oh, uh, how would you say, uh, awakenedness uh, or realization. But when he uh, took Molly or, or ecstasy, he 
uh, actually had more of a spiritual and understanding of life and feelings. Uh, felt that or understood that he loved his friend and that he wasn't afraid to admit to another man that he loved them. Uh, and this is uh, again, if you uh, have attempted, uh, have you, if you've experimented with these types of substances, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So it's no surprise that Maps, the uh, man, Maps, Maps is doing. Uh, incredible research on uh, gen. Um, how would you say uh, psychedelics in general? Maps research, maybe. Maps research. Um, I, I'm, I'm just going. I must. I'm, I'm going because it's hard to uh, for that acronym for me. Uh, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. Maps. Uh, www.maps.org. Uh, and they're doing tons of uh, study because they're finally getting permission to uh, use these different substances. And they're having quite a bit of success with Molly. I believe that one of the uh, things that MDMA does is that it helps heal relationships. And so uh, couples counseling is very effective when you break down the barriers and the defenses and you just have two people connect emotionally uh, and fix the relationship that's that's there. Uh, and what else? What else did I have to say about that? Uh, MDMA. Okay, so the author points out MDMA does, uh, and this is a quote, uh, increase concentrations of a number of important hormones, including oxytocin, vasopressin, cortisol, and prolactin. Uh, it has been beneficial because it, quote, decreases fear, defensiveness, and numbing, as well as helping to access inner experience. And that's exactly what therapy is. So it's almost like this substance is doing the therapist's job for them. Um, so, okay, so uh, Vanderkolt um, covers Richard's Schartz, S-C-H-A-R-T-Z, uh, and he's the developer of this uh, system of treatment. It's called the IFS, the Internal Family System. Um, there is a couple different personalities in your psyche. This is um, something that um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the inside out thing that I was explaining earlier. But uh, at the same time, it feels a little bit... Um, played out. Uh, I don't know why, but I, I just got that impression that he's uh, either uh, almost like dramatizing the treatment to make it seem a little more uh, enjoyable, or he is um, simplifying the process in, in just a way that just seems a little uh, unbelievable. And so um, I, I know I'm running a little long here, but let me see if I can cover most of this. Um, the In your psyche, you have a couple different um, personalities that he acknowledges. And now I know Peter Bregan acknowledged some other ones, and some of them almost feel like they coincide, but he's using different grammar, different words to describe uh, the different um, personalities. And of course, one of the ones that everybody agrees with is the inner child. We have a couple of inner children that uh, some of them might be 
uh, injured or hurt emotionally. And this is the things that you carry on. And sometimes you'll revert back to that, that child in uh, a, a state of fear, maybe you'll will collapse and you're not able to function and you're just scared irrationally at something that is going on in front of you. This is because the inner child is empowered and that child uh, is uh, taking over the personality for whatever reasons, just to uh, try to fix it or to try to uh, change the situation. But along with the different child personalities that we all have, there's other uh, different personalities. Uh, there's protectors, there's managers, and there's firefighters. I, I don't believe that the author is implying that there's only these types, but um, just to run through them real quick, the protectors will step in and, and protect the children. So these will often have uh, anger attached or defensiveness or uh, um, to be unable to uh, connect with people. And then the managers will try to manage the situation and, and protect uh, the, um, the true self from the situation that they're in. Uh, they also make us more productive. So this is, uh, the managers are the ones that keep you busy. They keep you uh, thinking about something. Uh, there's also, I believe, uh, procrastinators. And uh, actually, I don't think I wrote that one here. Procrastinators, just to remind myself. Uh, those will make you um, procrastinate. They, if there's something that you know might uh, cause um, um, uh, distress, then what they say is they just uh, r rationally kind of whisper in your ear and say, uh, whisper in your ear and say, uh, hey, why don't you just do that tomorrow? Let's not deal with that now. Uh, why don't you just take a bong rip and figure it out at another time? Uh, so this is kind of what... Um, how would you say, uh, feeds, feeds, uh, the addiction. The, it, it seems that the way that this is handled is almost like, uh, what, uh, the, where the need for addiction is. Uh, and then there's uh, firefighters. The firefighters are there to protect everything as well, but they're very destructive in that they come into your living room and just because there's a small fire on the carpet, they just hose down the whole entire house just to try to protect it. So there's a lot of destruction uh, in the process of trying to uh, repair or protect. Uh, and so what... Uh, the research, the part that I'm talking about where it starts to get a little, um, um, how would you say, fictional to me, uh, and I, I'm not saying that it's wrong, I'm just saying that the way that it's written in the book, it seems very simplistic, is that sometimes these personalities will clash and they'll fight. So maybe the protector will uh, protect the inner child and, um, and maybe the firefighter will come in and uh, try to heal the situation through different means. And all this means is that you're stuck in an endless cycle of just uh, debate, uh, uh, internal debate. And uh, this is something that you obviously have to um, iron out the wrinkles and figure out how to, um, how would you say, how to, uh, uh, f uh, how would you like defrag that part of the brain and, and fix everything. Uh, and that's obviously a very... Um, uh, emotional and, and risky uh, state to be in where you're confused because now you have two internal 
personalities uh, arguing. Uh, and uh, let me see. Um, so it says that uh, break. Okay, so from uh, break the cycle. Oh man, there's uh, uh, eight lessons on breaking the cycle. And I believe that is Vanderkolt's uh, thing. Let me see if I can find it as we're on here. Uh, eight uh, lessons. Break. Oops. The Jesus. I don't. I don't write this slow. I'm just. I have the microphone right in front of the keyboard, so I'm struggling to. I can't even put my my uh, hands on the keyboard. Uh, cycle. Um, so uh, break the cycle. The eight lessons uh, you can uh, look through, and um, it, it could be beneficial. Uh, the uh, I have four key things here, and I don't think that those are the break the cycle stuff. The things that you have to do to start uh, fixing yourself. Um, number one is you have to hit bottom. This is something that a lot of therapists kind of, uh, acknowledge. And I believe, uh, AA Alcoholics Anonymous also has this in that you have to hit the bottom to, uh, decide to uh, change something. So you have to get to, uh, in such an overweight situation where your doctor is telling you, Hey, if you continue this, you might not live, uh, another 10 years or you have a friend that that says, you know what, this isn't working. You need to uh, fix whatever it is that you're dealing with because you're a nightmare to be around. Or your partner will say something like that. Uh, and the, these hitting the rock bottom is usually what um, uh, perpetuates the, um, the the state of uh, uncomfort that will force you into uh, trying to repair these uh, things. And then two is um, free, free the wise true self. Three, identify, oh geez, free, yeah, free the wise self. So I guess it's uh, uh, pushing all the personalities aside, identifying the true self. So understanding what it is, that, uh, what state of mind you're in when you are yourself. And then four, uh, you identify the inner pain. So you first go back to center and then you start figuring out what moved you from center. Um, and uh, back to uh, just real quick, uh, one of my notes is uh, addiction, as the author of um, Bessel van der Kolk states, is that uh, addiction is a family problem, not an individual problem. Uh, and so... Um, um, if addicted parents, uh, oh, so if the parents are addicted to something, it's often the case that the child would be addicted to the uh, substance as well. I see this in uh, my own uh, family member, and I've talked about him before. Uh, and I just, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to tell somebody, hey, you need to stop drinking, you need to put those cigarettes down. Uh, you need to do something with your life because when the person is going through that, that's the last thing they want to hear. This is why you have to hit rock bottom because it has to be a choice that comes from internally and you're uh, coasting your way back to uh, uh, well-being. Um, and so 
what's this? Um, formerly false self, self to uh, prevent. So whenever you, any of these personalities take over, you're uh, manifesting a false self. And that, that's the thing that you're always trying to uh, get away from. Um, and so these are uh, six psychological wounds. One, um, mm, form, formatting, formatting a false, false self. Jeez, these notes. Two, excessive shame. Three, excessive guilt. Four, excessive fears, uh, like worrying and anxiety. Five, excessive reality. And you'll notice that two, three, and four is guilt, shame, and anxiety. Uh, guilt, uh, or is it shame? Shame, uh, yeah, shame actually starts six years, uh, at, at about six years of age. This is when um, uh, the child is able to cognitively uh, feel shame. Uh, uh, so it, it, it's, um, it, it, I guess it plays a role into how the child will react to certain trauma um, because of it. Uh, so four, five, uh, five is excessive reality distortions. Uh, it's uh, the most common one is denial that you're just saying like, no, no, my husband does love me even though he beats me. Uh, and, uh, it's a dangerous state to be in because it's delusion. It's, uh, uh, oh, did I not have that? It's, a uh, another personality, uh, that, that actually does that. And magician is the other personality. The magician will obviously create magic. Magic is um, convincing somebody of something that's not happening. So in other words, it's an irrational belief. And uh, you'll see a lot of people that are stuck in these cycles where uh, for whatever reason, they just don't see that that it's wrong to stay with a partner that cheats or is abusive or physically abusive. and uh, if people get stuck in these cycles, uh, six uh, major problems with trust. Um, it's uh, it, it's the it, it could go either way. It could go either that you trust someone too much and then you end up getting hurt, or you don't end up trusting somebody that deserves to be trusted and could benefit your life. And uh, this is because. The trauma has not allowed you to uh, cognitively rationalize who to trust and who not to trust. Uh, and that, that's uh, something that you can carry on um, late in your life. Uh, what else? Um, magician, perfectionist. The perfectionist as the other guy that um, puts you down and makes you redo things and everything. Uh, managers. Yeah, that's mostly all of them, I think. Uh, and, uh, what else? Do I have anything else? I might be finishing up here, which is good because we're a little over an hour. Uh, neurofeedback, uh, therapy, yoga. Oh, because it's yoga. I'll, I'll end with that. Um, the Bessel van der Kolt has a section where he's teaching you kind of like the example I told you of fixing your eyes. Uh, he, um, has discovered that, there is um, emotions that we uh, attach to um, that attach to different uh, experiences, different memories, and so uh, these are sometimes uh, recorded as um, as a physical 
manifestations, and this is where uh, you might have uh, maybe back strain, or it's oftentimes back strain. This is how some of my uh, stress uh, kind of manifests. And then you could either uh, get a massage therapist to kind of just relax the muscles in the back, or you can uh, start practicing yoga. And the way that uh, Vanderkolt explains it is when you're practicing yoga, there's only two things that you need to keep in mind. And number one is um, notice that. So in other words, as you're doing a strange position and you're stretching out that part of the body, you're noticing what type of parts of your body are tight or pain uh, that give you a little bit of pain. And you hold that position until that muscle relaxes and releases. Uh, if you've ever attempted meditation, this is another thing that they kind of teach you. And just uh, mindful practices where you might lie on the floor or sit in a chair in silence, close your eyes, and then just start to either tighten certain sections of your body and release them. Uh, to kind of do the same thing where you're tightening all the muscles and then you release in hopes that the muscles that are stuck in a uh, in a tight uh, uh, physical state will release and then your whole body is just in a resting state. As I take another sip of coffee that I'm almost finished with. Um, so... With the yoga, what you want to do is, yes, number one is acknowledge what it is that your body is telling you. So it's it's creating a pathway of communication between your body and you. Uh, this is a communication that we always have throughout our life, but we tend to start numbing it because uh, the... Uh, that little back strain that's kind of bothering you because you're sitting a little awkward at your chair uh, at work is starting to bother you, but then your brain quickly says, you know what, uh, nothing's changing, let's just ignore that. Well, that starts to snowball and uh, starts to build up more and more, and then that part of the back might go uh, really bad and start uh, affecting your posture and affecting you uh, physically. Um, so the the second part to the yoga practice is let's see what happens next. So first you just acknowledge it, you notice it, and then you just wait and see what happens next. This doesn't mean that you're forcing your body into states where you're in pain and then you're hoping that things will get better. You're just forcing your body to relax. And when I practice this uh, with having this in mind, I uh, also realized that uh, at least for myself, I speak for myself in saying that uh, I used to consider sitting down as like almost like a resting state where I'm leaning back and I'm not really doing much. So if if there's a backrest, I will sit, lean back, and then I just let my body kind of sag down and droop in, in whichever way that it wants and I'm sitting. Well, the way I described it to friends when I was talking to them is that the state of sitting is a verb. And after you've done yoga and you kind of notice your posture and you start fixing different parts of your body, which I have so much work on my back to do, even as I record this, I still have a little bit of um, back strain right now. Uh, so maybe I'll do a little bit of uh, stretching after this. But um, when you um, uh, start to realize that sitting is a verb, then when you sit, you sit in a proper posture and your back is fully straight and you're putting all your weight on your butt. You're 
uh, in a state where there's no parts of the body that are uh, strained or taking more of the uh, the brunt of the force that that's being applied. Uh, and not only that, but once you have that communication pathway, your body will start to tell you. So if you're sitting at your desk and you're kind of slouching, the moment that the synapses start to say, hey, there's some muscle in the back that's kind of uh, complaining right now. Why don't you check that out? You immediately sit up and fix your posture in a state where there's no more input. And that, that kind of uh, allows you to uh, not uh, force your body to be in a situation where it's not in a uh in a in a healthy uh state and that goes with standing with your posture not your shoulders slumped over uh, but in in a great alignment with the spine and in a uh even uh 50-50 on uh, uh distribution of weight on each of your legs uh and uh i feel that there is quite a bit of, of benefit to this uh as you know the uh asian practices like this one uh, yoga and all these um, different um, meditation um, and all the practices that they do are all kind of just uh, doing the same thing. It's it's uh, forcing the body to either relax or uh, to uh, function in a certain way. So um, I hope that I gave you a good amount of information and you can kind of run with this and uh, start um I don't know, exploring this subject a little more. Uh, the book, again, was The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma by Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, I've mentioned the other two books that I've read, uh, Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety by Michael, was it Burns? What is it, Mike? Yeah. No, David, David Burns. Uh, and then there's uh, Guilt, Shame, and Anxiety by Peter Bregan. Uh, all three of those books were great use of my time. They were all beneficial in giving me understanding. Obviously, they gave me material to share with you. Uh, and uh, I don't feel that they really contradict too much. As I said, the grammar is a little bit different with uh, Vanderkolt. But I feel that if uh, Peter Bregan and Vanderkolt, and I don't know if they have or not, but if they sat and started sharing their research and uh, uh, trying to help each other out in um, um, in understanding the mind that they wouldn't have too many uh, arguments on uh, where their research is pointing. Uh, so I highly recommend those three books. Um, I What else did I mention? I mentioned, um, oh, the Complete Liberty podcast. If you download the first 10 episodes of that, they'll give you uh, there are audios on the actual book. I believe the book is called Complete Liberty, and it kind of gives you an understanding. If, if you feel that you have a pretty good upbringing and you don't have too many problems, but you do every now and then kind of binge drink or, uh, I don't know, hit the pipe or smoke cigarettes, or you do things that you often find yourself asking, why is it that I'm always in this situation that I don't like? then you might want to download that audio and understand if there was uh, anything in your childhood upbringing that affected you. And I'm not talking about giant things like molestation. I'm talking about uh, 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 dictatorial uh, behavior by a caregiver, uh, something like uh, where your needs aren't being met or you're being neglected or abandoned, uh, your parents divorcing, your pet 
being injured or killed or or dying, uh, different things like that that could uh, be in the back of your mind. Um, Joe Rogan talks about it, and I I, uh, I am a firm believer that psychedelics are almost like a way of healing these type of things, but. Uh, it's it's very risky to dabble in psychedelics when you are uh, not aware of how uh, bad a trip could be. So I, I would say that if you are attempting to use substances, I have uh, got some understanding of different things that I had locked away in the back of my mind through uh, uh, different uh, substances, um, most legal. Uh, but uh, as long as you're um, aware, maybe you can go to Maps. Maybe you can go to, I believe, Arrowid was another website where it, it kind of has people uh, explain their experiences with certain substances. <clears throat> but I would say be very cautious. And above all, this is something that I tell anybody that's um, <clears throat> that's curious about exploring these type of realms is that before you take your first shot, before you smoke your first joint, before you eat those mushrooms, uh, I don't know, take that MDMA, uh, have a la quiet moment of contemplation and uh, awareness of, yes, I'm going to take a substance that's going to change my perception of the world, but um, it is all created because of the substance and uh, uh, do your absolute best to not fight it, especially with a huge, uh, um, uh, powerful substances like LSD, where it has a, such a potency that one drop is enough for a couple hours worth of uh, trip. Uh, I don't vilify LSD Yet, uh, I feel that it could still be beneficial, but I still stand by the uh, uh, by the suggestion that I feel that if you're curious about dabbling in uh, psychedelics, that I recommend that you start with uh, maybe uh, pot is very mild. Uh, if you've been buzzed or drunk before, you get a bit of understanding. But when you start to get into substances that will make you visually see things, either closed-eyed visuals or uh, uh, an an affecting of the environment, the synapses through your eyes, that uh, salvia is a a pretty good stepping stone. And I say that for two reasons. One is even if it is a bad trip, uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 minutes, you're back. uh, And it might have shooken you up quite a bit, but it will... Uh, be away. It'll go away and you'll go back to baseline real soon. Um, I believe DMT is like that too, but DMT is very dangerous. So I I wouldn't recommend anything like that. It's very difficult difficult to come by. And it's obviously something that you probably don't want to be caught with. Um, But Salvia, Salvia will give you the uh, experience to know what it's like uh, before you dabble into substances that'll give you like a three-hour trip, something like mushrooms, salvia, peyote, uh, any of these other psychedelics that that once you bought your ticket and you walk through those doors, there's no getting off the ride. You're going to be on that ride for three hours, and uh, whether you like it or not. Uh, and uh, the, the thing above all is that uh, I would highly recommend that you're really true to yourself. So if you're the type of person that is holding a lot in, 
then uh, maybe you want to have a little more contemplation on what it is that you're dealing with uh, before you <clears throat> start to explore these type of realms. Just for your, um, um, how would you say, for your well-being, uh, not that you're going to get hurt, but just that uh, psychedelics have a way of... Uh, um, bringing out things that you've hidden. And uh, when those things are brought and you try to fight them, then they start to uh, overwhelm you and they might not be a pleasant uh, memory. And uh, so uh, Salvia will uh, give you a glimpse of that. And even if it's a bad trip, it's it's still decent. Um, maps, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, I have on the blog post, I have the baby experiment that I was talking about and what else? Um, there was some websites that he recommended on yoga, but, uh, if you are, I'm sure that you can find a yoga class where they'll give you a free class. And of course you're going to probably get that lecture on, Hey, how do you feel? Do you want to sign up? Uh, but if you just want to experiment, maybe that's a good avenue or maybe watch a video. But it, it's very uh, important to have in, how would you say, uh, realistic, um, uh, not realistic, a, a, a more close to uh, the way that it's supposed to be practiced uh, in instruction. Because if you just see it in a picture and you try to em emulate that pose, you might... Uh, uh, strain yourself further. Uh, and yoga is not about putting yourself in situations where you're in pain. It's more about uh, stretching out the body and adding that extra flow. Uh, the other thing was Wim Hof that I mentioned from the Joe Rogan podcast. He was on there twice and then he uh, did an interview with Tim Ferriss. That's really good. Uh, you can look up his breathing exercises uh, there was one other guy that had some sort of device for breathing, uh, and I don't know that you really need to buy that tool, but Wim Hof's method is something that you can attempt. It's uh, almost like uh, similar to my understanding of uh, holotropic breathing and uh, different practices like that where you can do breathing exercises to get make yourself uh, lightheaded and um, in this oxidated state where you're... Uh, going to be healing. Uh, so hopefully I gave you some good insight. It, it's, it was a pretty big book and it took me quite a while to get through and compile all the notes. So I'm, I'm really hoping that you um, benefited from that and uh, you come back because uh, I do these so that I don't feel like the stuff that I'm reading is going to be lost when I'm not here anymore. Uh, not only that, but I'd like to share it because I know that a lot of people aren't into reading too much. So they they would probably enjoy just having somebody explain the ideas. Uh, and oftentimes, that's kind of how I find books. This book I probably found because of the uh, podcast that I listened to where they had uh, segments of the book being read and then discussed it. Uh, and that's through The School Sucks, The Adverse Childhood uh, development or whatever it was. So that's schoolsucks.com. Uh, that's it. That's all I got an hour and 30 minutes. Not too bad. Um, if you made it this far, thank you very much. Uh, robertlego.org is the website. You'll find the blog there. If you're on talk shoe, then you probably have an account or, uh, you followed it through a link and created an account. Uh, so thanks for that. 
Um, you can subscribe to it there, I believe, and uh, you'll have all the audios that I do. Uh, and then if you're not the type to enjoy those too much or you want to see the information explained, if it's a blog cast, uh, you can almost bet that the uh, article will be hand in hand with uh, what is being recorded on that audio. So TalkShoe.com, uh, my name is Question All on there. Uh, I Show ID 112768 or 678, something like that. And if not, just look up Question All, create an account, download it. It's all free. Uh, website is free. TalkShoe is free. Uh, and thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate anybody out there that's listening. I want to share this information and, and I want to feel like the time that I'm spending to record these things is uh, is not being wasted and people are benefiting from the time I'm uh, putting the effort and all the note taking that I'm doing. Uh, so stay tuned. I'm, I'm on a religious kick again. So I'm reading uh, books on religion and doing research and compiling all my notes for that. So I might do another article on emotional well-being. And if not, um, stay tuned for more stuff on religion. I'm going to try to be a little more um, um, on point with the site. But I'd rather do an article a month than do four articles that are just going to waste your time. So just like this one, I like to have these long articles that really uh, compile a lot of the research that I've done from different things, from articles, from podcasts, from conversations, interviews, from anything that I come across. And then I just um, mix it all up into a nice little article and then uh, do an audio on it. Uh, so again, thanks very much. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something uh, and I hope that you come back. Uh, again, robertlego.org, talks you. Thanks a lot, and take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.